This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. Uh, it's good to be here this morning and great to always great to welcome uh, Mississippi Bar General Counsel Adam Kilgore. I've uh, been on the show before and uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show, Adam. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your role as General Counsel? Uh, yes, sir, and good morning. It's, it's good to be able to visit with both of you, um, and it's always a pleasure. Uh, at the Mississippi Bar, we handle ethics and attorney discipline matters. Uh, so a good uh, aspect, uh, a large aspect of my job is related to uh, dealing with uh, lawyers who have bar complaints filed against them. So if an, a, a member of the public, a client, uh, is concerned that their attorney may have committed an ethics violation, uh, our office receives those complaints, um, and, and we provide them to our Committee on Professional Responsibility to take a look. And they are looking to see if they have proof of an ethics violation, of a violation of our rules of professional conduct, uh, as issued by the Supreme Court of Mississippi. Uh, in addition to that, I also do uh, work related to uh, educating our lawyers uh, about matters related to ethics, um, you know, providing them with updates when, when we have uh, new rules that have gone into effect. Um, and, it, and it's a, a job I've, I've been doing for a long time now. I feel very privileged to do it. Uh, it has given me some perspective as we've gone through different eras and times uh, related to challenges in the profession and certainly you know, everyone's experiencing uh, the, the COVID complications uh, now, and um, that's something that I'll be prepared to talk to you about today. Well, let's, let, let's talk a little bit about that. How are lawyers in court? We, you know, I think we, we actually may have had this conversation uh, about a year ago, and, and who knew that we'd be you know, still here. So how are lawyers in courts you know, faring during this, this crazy time, this pandemic? <laughs> Yes, sir. I, you know, overall, I, I think it's 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 going fairly well, considering, and that and that's that's an important phrase, fairly well considering. Um, one of the the things that that we've seen, uh, we actually had an economic survey come out yesterday uh, from the Mississippi Bar, and um, it was not too COVID related, but there was there were a couple of uh, questions in there. One in particular was the question: To what degree were client services? that your firm provides impacted by the pandemic? Uh, and there were six possible answers there. The one that received the largest number in response was remain stable at 42%. Um, significantly positive, somewhat positive, and minimally positive, which is obviously the threshold above, took another about 15%. So it looks like above average, client services have either been, have remained stable or were positive. Obviously, the flip side there, we've got, you know, 35, 40 percent where, where people were impacted. I think it comes down to area of practice for the lawyer, uh, which, of course, transfers to the uh, issues that the client has. What, what type of case do they have? 
um, the, the court, our Supreme Court um, and Chief Justice Michael Randolph have been very aggressive and on the front end uh, as much as possible to try to see things coming as well as one can and adjust accordingly. Um, so we have an emergency administrative order, number 21, that came out on August 5th uh, that addresses these things. Uh, before I get into some of the content of that, uh, the thing that's important to note is that's the 21st order since March 13th of 2020. Um, so we have seen our, our Supreme Court adjust and adapt. Um, and adaptability is the big thing, whether it is lawyers, judges, clients, just our listeners in the various roles that, that, that they have in their career and in their personal lives. I spoke to uh, a group of law students last week at their orientation as part of our Duke's professionalism program. The first thing I said to them was the most important ability you can have in this current era especially is adaptability. And so this emergency administrative order issued by the court um, has, exhibits that, and our court has exhibited that along the way. So that they, these, and I'm sure we'll get into that order in a minute, uh, Professor, but th those are the types of things that we've seen. But I think lawyers have responded well. Um, there's some things, you know, that are taking place that are delays in litigation, especially on the civil side, that I'm sure has created some frustration. Um, there's also issues related to we're really have always had a focus on lawyer wellness. People are doing great during this time. Lawyers are people too. So we are certainly encouraging them to you know, make healthy choices and access whatever resources they need. And then just in general, we all need to be careful and cautious and try to give some grace to others because the world is anxious right now. It is, but we are here to help calm folks' feel fears <laughs> that they might have about uh, lawyers hiring a lawyer, fees, uh, if you have a trouble with a lawyer. Those are the kind of questions that our guest, Adam Kilgord, general counsel with the Mississippi Bar, will be able to answer. And you can send us an email with your questions, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Let's go to the phone now and speak with Leon. Leon, thank you for calling from Natchez. What's your comment or question for in legal terms? Yes. Um, my question is, um, an attorney, what type of an attorney should I be looking for to uh, establish a trust? Well, if it's all right with uh, our guest, I'll, I'll handle that one, Leon. I think you should talk to a, a Wilson estate, so an estate planning lawyer would be the best person to do that. And there, there are a lot of good ones in our state. Uh, and, uh, you know, down in Natchez, uh, in that part of the state, uh, and I would just, for someone who does estate planning, you can ask uh, maybe a friend who has had their estate plan done, you know, who they recommend. But that's where you would, that's the kind of lawyer you would go to, somebody who does estate planning. Okay, someone that does estate planning. Yes. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Leon. Awesome. We appreciate you calling in. Um, uh, Professor Gershon, uh, Adam Kilgore, is estate planning, uh, is that something that an attorney would get specialized? Uh, 
extra legal knowledge about, extra legal certification for? I'm not familiar with what the certification options are uh, out there specifically, Professor. You may know, but a, a lawyer is not required to get special certification uh, to, to necessarily do that work. Certainly looking for someone that has some experience in it uh, uh, or someone that is working in a firm setting that has some, you know, has some experience there is is a good idea. I, I th one of the things I appreciate appreciate about Leon's call is asking the question about what kind of lawyer he needs. Um, we we do see from time to time people deciding to take things on on their own and not get legal advice. And I just you know, if, if you care about what the outcome is. Um, related to that trust, your safest approach is to hire a lawyer. Um, so I, I appreciate the fact that that's the, that's the way he was going. I just want to take a moment to, to recognize that that is the way. And Adam, I, you know, I'll follow up that just uh, when we talk about estate planning, too, and I'm, I think, you know, people, it's, it's a big term. And uh, we've had, for example, Rick Courtney on our show who does um, that kind of practice, but he also, you know, his area really focuses on disability planning and, and uh, also um, uh, elder law planning. And so estate planning, I, I think of estate planning as life planning, all, you know, all, all processes that go, go through that, uh, that stage. So, um, you know, different lawyers within estate planning focus on different topics as well. Uh, but, you know, it's, um, it's a great question. And there, I always you know, tell people there's no such thing really as a bad question, except for the one you don't ask. <laughs> Well, and we're going to give our listeners a chance to ask us questions that they would like. You can send us your questions by email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing the legal profession during the pandemic with our guest, Adam Kilgore from the Mississippi Bar. What information can you get from the Bar Association's website, msbar.org? I'm going to tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at 
www.inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Now, we get asked a lot here at In Legal Terms on how someone could get free legal assistance. The Mississippi Bar Association's website has a whole page of options of legal organizations that can help you out. They have 16 different ones listed. So if you need to find someone who could help you specifically with your problem, you can go to the website msbar.org to find out, uh, to contact someone who could help you. This morning, we're talking about how the pandemic has affected the legal profession. And I'll remind all of our listeners, we don't give legal advice. We'll give you legal information. But for advice that you need, you would need to contact your own attorney. And today, our guest is Adam Kilgore, from the general counsel with the Mississippi Bar. And we've got our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. So we'll see how much help they can be to Danny from Pascagoula, I think it says. Danny, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Yes, well, one, I thank y'all. Two, I wish all of Mississippi was listening to this CBS talk radio, you know, instead of all the other shows, because it if we had this going on in Mississippi all around, we would be number two state in the, in America. My question is, um, I'm, I, I had sent my information into the unemployment MDES with the, what they asked for for proof of employment before the pandemic and and uh, right and right at the pandemic, and they're still trying to get uh, some money out of me, saying that I didn't send them proof. And when you try to call them, it is hard to get them on the phone. I was on the phone for two hours before they disconnected me. What should I do? Because this Army veteran is broke right now. <laughs> well, Danny, Professor like, Gershon, is there, uh, Adam, uh, I know we've had on Money Talk, we've had MDES on quite a lot, and they are super, super, super busy. What do you have any advice on where Danny could turn? It, it, it's going to be a frustrating response. Um, I, I, do, I do not work with them regularly, but I can imagine. Um, you know, we, we know in our office we've had an increase in communication too in the last couple of years. Uh, the the one of, whether it's you're trying to get in touch with a lawyer or a, uh, a government agency or any other entity, um, you know. If phone calls not working, find another way to, to communicate. So, for example, if a, if a person's having a hard time getting their lawyer, uh, contacting their lawyer, uh, and the traditional means of a telephone call or an email hasn't worked, we do recommend a certified letter return receipt requested. So you have proof of that communication and keep a copy of it. Uh, that's not going to necessarily jumpstart things, but that's another approach to try to find another productive a professional way to communicate, and, and hopefully that, that could be a response. But I'll, I'll defer to uh, the professor if he has any other information. 
Well, one thought, Adam, is that uh, and Liz Gay it was right to point people to the, the list of uh, organizations that can help people with their, their legal problems. I've actually referred someone to legal services in a similar situation, and we want to help Danny out. I mean, hate to hear that our, our veterans are struggling, um, and uh, yeah, that, that should never happen. Um, it's a tough situation for everyone, but it's possible that one of the legal services organizations may be able to help them. Um, you know, navigate this process a little bit faster. So I, I would recommend that he at least reach out to, uh, and as did you say, he's in Pascadilla, I guess he's looking for, uh, you know, legal services organization down in, in South Mississippi that would be a, maybe a good, um, a good resource to at least point him in the right direction to, to expedite this process. Danny, good luck to you, and I, I hope you're able to uh, navigate bureaucracy uh, to your credit. Adam, we mentioned a little bit about uh, emergency orders from the Mississippi Supreme Court. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So the, the premise throughout, uh, ever since that first order in March of 2020, has been the courts remaining open and accessible as required by our Constitution. Uh, obviously, the most recent order is in response to the rise of the Delta variant. But again, courts remain open. Uh, and the way the, you know, the Mississippi Supreme Court has, has handled this is they provided guidelines, but they have also um, uh, made it so that the individual judges have discretion. And of course, they are encouraged to follow the de Department of Health guidance related to that. So some of the things that have, have taken place is in-person courtroom contact is, is limited. Um, there's some emergency circumstances where that can take place if technology can't do the job for whatever reason. But otherwise, the use of technology is encouraged. Uh, provisions have been made to allow interactive audio-visual visual, um, interaction, to, to overuse the phrase, in felony matters, for example. So we've, we've seen, in many instances, the criminal side of the practice of law has been able to go forward um, because there are constitutional requirements related to you know, speedy trials. And you know, as a profession and as a system of justice, it, we've adapted pretty well uh, related to Zoom and how to do that. I mean, I, I still look back in that, at that in amazement and how quickly um, we in society adjusted to that and made it work after a few hiccups early on. Uh, that's, I think that's one of the lost things that, that uh, in the midst of everything else, we all may not have given ourselves enough credit for the uh, adapting to that. So, so the court has listed off different things that can go forward. Uh, this is not an uh, all-inclusive list, but child custody matters, uh, emergency mental health um, uh, protection of vulnerable adults, uh, um, arrests and search warrants. Um, so the, the, the courts continue to function and fulfill their role, um, but each uh, judge has some discretion as to how, how that's going to go forward. That's, I mean, uh, that's great information. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I, I sense Danny's frustration, I think a lot of people may have frustration, especially on the civil side of the, the justice system, because, you, as you mentioned, criminal uh, cases have to go forward. 
because of the Constitution. But uh, your your office deals with lawyer discipline, as you mentioned. And have you seen disciplinary complaints increase during this time? Uh, surprisingly, we haven't. What we have seen is an increase in communication. Our consumer assistance program, uh, the director of that is Glenn Waddle. He's, he's been with us and is the founder of, of our program. We're very proud of him and proud of that program. We were the first in the country to have a program like this where someone can interface with the Mississippi Bar uh, and um, you know express concerns or just ask general questions similar to what uh, Liz was saying at the beginning of our, of our um, show today related to providing information but can't provide legal advice. Uh, our calls were up uh, by 400 last year as compared to the year before. Bar complaints are slightly down. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, because of the experience that I've had working at the bar, I've seen us through a different, few different seasons, if you will. Uh, and one of the first ones I encountered was roughly 15 years ago dealing with Hurricane Katrina. And there are some similarities as to how lawyers have reacted and how the public has reacted expressing their concerns. But, you know, when it all gets down to it, it's, it's, it's really the same concerns just in a new setting. Uh, so we have people that are concerned, you know, what's the status of my case? How do I communicate with my lawyer? Um, and, and so with, the, you know, the uncertainty and, and some limited availability that people have had, um, we've had to adapt and adjust. So I think there's still that heightened concern and anxiety that everyone's feeling. You know, people have anxiety uh, related to their cases already, and then we can tell, you know, pile COVID on top of that. So it is feeding more communication, but at the end of the day, our bar complaints aren't down a little bit, but it's the same kind of concerns that people have. What is the status of my case? You know, is it going forward? Um, and other concerns that people can have. And, you know, Adam, it's interesting because I teach, I teach ethics uh, every spring, and, and we, we pull up uh, the bar statistics on lawyer discipline. And I always find it interesting that uh, the ones that are the greatest complaints are essentially the neglect of the client, you know, not communicating. Uh, you know, the, the things I tell my students is, you know, the obvious stuff, you know, if you take steal your client's money, then, you know, there's nothing I, I, I can tell you not to do that. But if you're predisposed to do that, then, you know, you're going to get in big trouble. But I think the idea of not returning phone calls and not um, – you know, not uh, responding to the client, abandoning the claim. Sometimes, you know, lawyers, as you mentioned, uh, have uh, health issues, mental health issues, and sometimes depression gets in the way. So uh, those are the kinds of things that can cause problems, it sounds like, uh, between lawyers and clients. Can you talk a little bit about where, where your statistics, where people can see the statistics on lawyer discipline? Yes, we've got uh, at msbar.org, uh, which is a website that Liz has been kindly mentioning today, we've got a section at the top called Ethics and Discipline. And if you scroll down, there are multiple sections there, including an explanation of the disciplinary process, um, a flowchart that explains how our, our office functions and within the scope of the attorney discipline system is set forth by the Supreme Court. And there fourth on the list is the attorney discipline statistical report. Uh, so you can see a breakdown there of, of the practice areas that uh, are more likely to have a bar complaint filed, uh, the most common complaints that people have against an attorney. And again, this report does not show who got in trouble, per se. It just simply shows the nature of the complaints 
that were received and who they are against. But there, there's some good information there on our site, including the rules. Uh, which you can access and see the rules of professional conduct. There's, I think, 55 or 57 rules uh, that lawyers have to abide by, and that's what we're looking at. Now, if a person files a bar complaint, they are not required to articulate the rules, but I also know that some people like to to be able to read those and, and, and appreciate what, the, what they should be expecting from their attorney. One of the, the things I find interesting on the statistics page is also you break it down by uh, size of firm and, and you know, complaints against uh, cell practitioners versus bigger firms and uh, older lawyers, younger lawyers, uh, and by gender. Um, and so it's a lot of good information there. Um, and so I'm, that, I just want to point that out, Liz, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, no. I, I, love, uh, I love statistics. I think and that's, so, that's fascinating to see. Uh, how that all works out. And if you have a yeah. question about ethics or how to contact a, our, a lawyer, or maybe our guest Adam Kilgore, general counsel from the Mississippi Bar, could answer that. You can email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Our topic today is Mississippi's legal profession during the pandemic. Okay, but What's an ancillary suit or a holographic will? You know, I've heard that they do have like holographic concerts. I wonder if that's kind of the same thing. But I don't know. But I'm going to tell you how you can find out next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope that you subscribe to our podcast, so many different podcasting platforms, and it's so easy to subscribe. You just touch a plus or something that takes you to a page to search for podcasts, type in your podcast name, like In Legal Terms. It'll bring us up. You can then touch the photo and subscribe, and that way you can be notified when any new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we're talking about the pandemic in the legal profession with our guest, Adam Kilgore, general counsel from the Mississippi Bar. And maybe I pronounced it wrong. Maybe it's holographic, not holographic, Will. But I don't know. But if you would like to learn legal terms and procedures... The website for the Mississippi Bar has a page for you. You can just go to msbar.org 
and see a list of legal terms and learn about different procedures. We have a call this morning. We're going to go to Mobile and speak with Mikey. Mikey, thanks for calling in with two in legal terms this morning. What's your question or comment? Well, I, I think uh, Mikey had told our call screener it was about a retainer. When do you need a retainer? Um, Adam, can you speak to that? Sure. So uh, when we're talking about retainer, we're talking about payment of legal fees. And generally, we're talking about payment of legal fees in advance. So uh, if you go to see a lawyer and, and talk to them about possibly undertaking representation for you, uh, obviously one of the one of the things that's going to come up is how is this case going to be paid for? How is this representation going to be paid for? Uh, oftentimes, lawyers will take what's called a retainer or a, an amount. For conversation purposes, we'll say $5,000. So you pay that $5,000 in whatever form the attorney and, and the client agree to, and then that attorney will take that and they basically bill against it. And so the, the client should expect that um, they will get some type of, you know, probably monthly, some type of explanation as to these are the hours that were worked uh, related to the case. This is the type of the work that was done, and this was how much was charged against the retainer. Um, where, where I think it gets frustrating for, for clients at times is, is they maybe have in their head that it's going to be only costing this $5,000. Well, the lawyer may well say to the client, it's going to, you know, typically cases like this are going to cost this much, but legal matters take on a life of their own. There's, a, there's several factors that can be involved there that are uncontrollable for both the client and the lawyer. And so what can end up happening is the, the lawyer will inform the client, your, your retainer is getting getting used up here's here's the billing showing and then and you know we need to get additional uh, fees to continue doing the work um, so it requires good communication between the lawyer and the client um, it is highly recommended that whatever the representation is going to be about that it be put in writing so that it's so that you have something clear that says this is what the representation is about and this is the fee and how you're going to be charged Adam, in that situation with the retainer, if, if someone, let's say, you know, pays a retainer of $5,000 and after, you know, uh, the lawyer can uh, get the work done much quicker and uh, only does about $2,000 worth of work, is the client entitled to a refund in that case? Yes, they are. So, you know, a lawyer's obligation is to return any unearned fees. So that lawyer would take, and again, in the scenario I'm giving, $5,000, they would put that in their lawyer trust account and bill against it. If the case happened to conclude uh, sooner, then the entire amount would be would, has been used up. Then absolutely, a uh, lawyer's obligation is to return any unearned fees. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about yeah. That's uh, retainers are used a lot of times in, in people who are doing transactional law, for example. But also, uh, you hear people talking about you, you know, lawyers will advertise that you don't have to pay me anything unless you win, you know, a contingent fee. What is that? And, and, and when are they allowed and when are they not allowed? So contingency, contingency fee cases are, are just like you said, Professor, they are, you know, I, I'm going to charge 
depending on the outcome, against whatever the result of the case is. And so contingency fee contracts are required to be in writing. Um, there are certain types that you cannot do a contingency fee on. You can't do it on a domestic relations case or a divorce matter. Um, you uh, can't do it uh, um, you know, for alimony, those kind of things. You can't do it for a criminal case. But generally speaking, you can do it in most instances. Um, where I think clients can at times get surprised is you know, that, those same expenses in the retainer scenario we were just discussing are going to present themselves at the end of the case. So let's say the contingency fee case is successful for the client. They're going to then get charged whatever that percentage is that has been agreed to, but also costs and expenses related to pursuing that case. So this does result at times in people not getting as much as they expected and hoped from the outcome of the case because there are expenses involved. So. You know, one could, to simplify it, say, retainer, you're paying it on the front end, contingency fee case, you're paying it on the back end, but contingency fee cases have their benefit, too, because you, you may not be out anything um, uh, in, in depending on how the case goes. So that, that's, that tends to be the way it works. Now, how, you know, um, and this is this is really such great information, Adam. And by the way, I don't know if the, the listeners notice we're all on phones today, cell phones. So we do appreciate the Zoom uh, that you talked about because it's we're not able to see each other, um, and uh, but we're making it work. I'm out in California today, so this is uh, we're, we're literally coast to coast today. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, you know fee disputes. You know, yeah, those do happen from time to time. And the, the bar has a, has a good website about fee disputes, or a good uh, place on their website about fee disputes. Can you talk a little bit about how they're resolved? Sure. So we, we have a fee dispute program. So if a client is feels like that they were overcharged or weren't charged properly, or there's some literally dispute related to the fee on the case, they can contact the Mississippi Bar uh, and get a fee dispute resolution form uh, that we can provide to the, to, to the person. Um, the, the key thing to remember here is that is a voluntary process. This is something different than a bar complaint. Um, so you can request a uh, fee dispute form, fill it out, and then submit it to the bar. We will then provide it to the attorney that is the subject of that fee dispute, and that attorney can choose to participate. Um, not everyone chooses to participate. Um, if the fee dispute process isn't accessed and the lawyer doesn't agree, the fallback is, is the client can uh, you know, pursue uh, um, action against the attorney depending on the amount of the fee, but oftentimes people will go to their local justice court and, and file uh, some type of matter there uh, for a minimal fee. Justice court doesn't require an attorney. And, and then the fee may be fee dispute may be resolved that way. But if every if both parties agree, we have a fee dispute program. It is free. The um, uh, we have volunteers that are arbitrators and mediators that that review these uh, disputes and and will make a decision on it. So it it has seen some benefit for sure. But I do want the public to know that if you file a fee dispute and the attorney doesn't agree that there is another path, which is for you to simply sue the attorney. You know, again, there's always a practical outcome here that that, uh, that can be reached. Um, 
uh, people are intimidated by interacting with a lawyer. I encourage you to not be afraid to ask basic questions and just try to keep your composure um, in in asking, you know, how was this fee brought about? Why did it cost this much? What does this mean? They're, those are good questions that you should feel comfortable asking your attorney. Uh, but again, everybody's anxious because they have a legal matter pending. So, I find it very and, and interesting this discussion. You know, lawyer ethics. I, I think a lot of people who go to college, a lot of colleges require an undergraduate philosophy or an ethics class that you have to take. But with lawyers, it's, you know, someone who has so much more information than you do, and you're relying on them, and they learn all of this legal information, but yet they're a sole proprietor, maybe. You know, I guess there are, you know, big firms and things, but for a lot of lawyers, they're the phone answerer. They're the bookkeeper. They have to do all of that uh, additional fee handling. They're the ones that hand out invoices. And I guess that's just an extra layer of, of ethics that they have to be responsible for to carry on their, their business, especially with their clients. I, I, this is making me think about lawyers in a different way. Yeah, if I, if I can say, you know, that that's really important, and that's why one of the, the I think the duty that a lawyer has is to know their own limitations. I mean, we're all balance sheets. We don't, none of us could do everything. And if a sole practitioner can't handle all that uh, properly, then their their client is going to end up, you know, sending something to Adam as a complaint. So they got to know that they need to hire somebody who's who's competent to handle their business side. If that if they can't, if they're not good at doing it themselves. We've got a few minutes left to take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We've got Adam Kilgore from the Mississippi Bar as our guest today. How do you select a lawyer anyway? We're going to tell you how you can learn next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Remember, at 11 Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi Bar has a webpage, 
How to Select a Lawyer on its website, msbar.org. We're talking with Adam Kilgore, General Counsel for the Mississippi Bar today. And as I, um, I think we've done a show previously with Adam where we talked about uh, selecting a lawyer and what you should what what you should expect from your lawyer and and you know what you should have prepared before you go to your lawyer and maybe you can uh, find that podcast and uh, and post it with this one. Adam's always a great guest and we really appreciate it. Adam, I, I'm gonna. Give you, throw something at you that we didn't have in our uh, our planned talking points, but that that's advertising. Um, can you talk a little bit about lawyer advertising? We see it everywhere. We know lawyers can advertise. Are there limits on advertising? There are some limits. There's a really one basic limit, and and again, uh, for any in the audience that enjoy rules and numbers, I will briefly tell you. We're talking about Rule 7.1 through 7.7 of the Rules of Professional Conduct. Historically, and we still, you know, hear from people that have been practicing for a while that have some discomfort with lawyer advertising. But, you know, lawyers weren't able to advertise their services for an extended period of time. Uh, it was viewed beneath the profession. As time has, has gone on and things have changed, and, and now, you know, advertising obviously is is allowed for. For many of our listeners, that's all. You know, it, it's always been around, uh, but we're still in that in that time period uh, where people are adjusting to it. But the basic premise, um, and this is fairly uniform across the country, is a lawyer cannot advertise and be in that advertisement be false, misleading, or deceptive. Um, so you can't say something false in your advertisement. Um, now, one, one of the things that we hear sometimes from the public, sometimes from lawyers, is, is not everybody likes the lawyer advertisements that are out there. Um, the rules don't regulate taste. Um, so if, if, uh, if you find one that you don't really like, uh, I, you know, we, we all have different opinions about those kind of things. But, you know, from the standpoint of, of what it's really about from a regulation standpoint, uh, a lawyer's advertisement can't be false, misleading, or deceptive. And obviously, there's, there's more details on that. Uh, in our rules for, as far as what a lawyer can and can't do. So by deceptive, that would be somebody, for example, if they said, uh, I've never lost a case, you know, and maybe they've never tried a case. So it's not false, but certainly that would be misleading to, to someone who's looking at that ad. Um, now, you mentioned, you mentioned taste, and, and uh, um, so does the bar have any way to regulate advertisements before they're disseminated uh, to the public? Well, lawyers have to submit certain advertisements, um, and, and I apologize for saying it that way. It just gets too technical. Um, but we have some information on the website regarding what our lawyers can look at so they understand. But there are certain types of advertisements that require submission to the Office of General Counsel at the Mississippi Bar, and, and, and we receive those and in, in, in the midst of that, the lawyer can submit for an optional advisory opinion uh, where they can find out if their advertisement is within the rules of professional conduct or not. So we have attorneys access that. We have a, a bank of former advertising, you know, I'm sorry. All right, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, we, we've got, um, you know, the ability to review that for the attorney. Um, if they if they pay the appropriate fee under our rule seven point five d, um, and so we you know we we do do that um, uh, and, and lawyers access that and um, you know it, it's worked out pretty well. 
Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's really kind of fascinating because you mentioned, I, I remember in my, my time back, you know, when, uh, when we practiced in caves, and, uh, you know, the, um, the, the fact is, I mean, lawyers couldn't even use a, a name on their, on their letterhead, uh, people actually use letterhead predominantly, uh, that, um, that was not a name associated with the firm. So you couldn't use a trade name, for example. You couldn't call yourself the, the trial firm or something like that. And that so, so much has changed in, in, in those times. But what, what's the difference between advertising and solicitation? Well, oddly enough, advertising is a form of solicitation, so we'll, we'll call that appropriate solicitation for this conversation. Uh, um, on the flip side would be improper solicitation. So we have a rule that talks about you can't pay a person to recommend your services as a lawyer, um, but there is an exception related to advertising. So, uh, you know, there are instances where, where people have expressed concern that somebody was paid to recommend services by, by another attorney. And, and, you know, that it's not the name of the rules, but that would be called case running. Um, and so there, there are some limitations related to that. I believe the limitations in, in large part are to protect the public or protect potential clients who are in a vulnerable situation. I, I've, I've always felt that the word client could be defined very soon in the definition with the word vulnerable because they are. If you've got a pending legal matter or concern, you're vulnerable in some way. So these rules are designed to fairly interface with the client, give the client the choice. Uh, the client should be reaching out to their potential lawyer, not the other way around. But of course, uh, general advertising is allowed. Adam, we've got about three minutes left, and we've got a call from Jackie in Madison. Jackie, what's your question for Mississippi Bar General Counsel Adam Kilgore? I'm conservator for my sister, and when I became conservator four years ago, she went to an attorney in Gulfport to try to uh, uh, have it um, rescinded, and um, he charged her $500 that he would not uh, refund to her and every other attorney that she went to. She's schizophrenic, so it doesn't take long to figure out she's got a mental problem. And he wouldn't refund the $500. He actually told me if I filed a complaint, he'd sue me. Okay. That, that, that's, a, that's a difficult one there, and I, and I can appreciate that the, the, the frustration you're expressing. Um, hopefully, in that scenario, the lawyer was able to show their work. We were talking earlier about fees and uh, a lawyer's obligation uh, is to show their work, and, and, and that work is included in time. Lawyers also have a responsibility if they are aware that a client is under disability. Uh, we've got a rule related to that to try to the best of their ability to keep treat that client as normal unless the, the situation dictates otherwise. So in the short time period here, I'm not going to be able to give you too much more on that, but that those are the premises at, at play here. Um, but it really does, related to that $500, it's going to depend on how much time the attorney actually spent uh, related to the case. An initial fee, uh, is that appropriate? Because every other attorney that she went and spoke with, they didn't charge her for the initial um um, interview with her, and uh, you know, so it, he's the only one who's charged her, and she's seen attorneys in Connecticut and really all over. Uh, she's always had, she's seventy nine years old, so it's you know it was not it was not something that was questionable at all, and she had the paperwork from the judge in Gulfport giving me conservatorship, so 
you know, it, it made no sense. Well, lawyers are able to charge for that initial consultation, and other lawyers talk about how they don't charge. Um, it, it's, it, you know, a lawyer's obligation is to have a reasonable fee, um, given the circumstances and the work being done. So, it, it is not, it is possible to, for there to be legitimacy in charging a consultation fee, but a lot of, a lot of attorneys do choose to waive it. Jackie, we appreciate you calling in. Adam, remind us one more time, if someone has had a problem with a lawyer or they want to select a lawyer or they just need some help from the Mississippi Bar, uh, how can they get in contact? Well, our consumer assistance program is, is uh, 601-948-2344. Um, we also have our website. Um, there is some information related to choosing an attorney, but we can't refer one for you. Um, but there is also information related to if you have a concern your attorney committed an ethics violation on how to file a complaint. And as we've talked about, you've done a great job with this today, Liz. We've got a lot of good general information on the bar's website that I think can help the public. So I, I hope they'll take the opportunity to access that. Adam Kilgore, General Counsel for the Mississippi Bar, thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Thank you, Lisa Lancaster, for being our phone screener, and thanks, Michelle McAdoo, for being our board engineer. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from uh, the University of Mississippi School of Law via California, I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.